0: Y'all, I don't even know where to begin. Welcome, it's Eric Erickson here, News 95.5 AM 750 WSB after the people. I just feel bad for those of you who have been stuck dealing with this water main situation. Good gracious, the Beaufort Highway. Wow, all the businesses that had be closed, the damage done. Just crazy. Um, Reminder of infrastructure. By the way, the president's infrastructure spending plan appears to be dead in Congress. I guess I can start there. He doesn't have enough Republican support. Now, why? He wants, it's a multi-trillion dollar spending package, but the way the president and the uh, Office of Management and Budget budgeted this, they made it look like less than a trillion dollar spending package. And the way that they did it was to say they would get outside investment from private businesses to help them. That's It doesn't look like that's taking shape. Uh, No private business wants to play a role in it, and so the only way to get it through is full government funding, and the Republicans voted against Obama's trillion-dollar infrastructure plan. They're certainly not going to vote for a $1.5 trillion infrastructure plan, even from President Trump. I guess I should say, by the way, it is Eric Erickson here on News 95.5, AM 750, WSB. If you want to subscribe to the podcast, and that's a great way to help us out here, uh, you can text the word SHOW to four 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 nine, nine, nine. Um, we even strip out the traffic and ads and whatnot. Um, but, um, you should be listening live because the traffic and the weather is what gets you home and keeps you sane. Now we got other stuff we got to talk about tonight, including, uh, Gary Khan out at the white house. Um, here's the thing I'm old enough to remember news stories, about Gary being the replacement for John Kelly, that John Kelly was going to be out and Gary was going to replace him, except uh, that was two weeks ago. That was; Those were the headlines we were talking about two weeks ago. General Kelly on his way out, Gary Kahn to replace him. And that's not happening here, folks. That's not happening. Gary's gone. General Kelly's staying. Maybe General Kelly pushed him out of the door. Doesn't look like that, though. Uh, from all of the reports overnight, what is um, being said is that he told the president if the president went through with his uh, tariff plan, He uh, Gary would quit, and he did. Now, it is worth noting, and I think it is a smart thing to say, that there's no reason for the president to fill this position. We have a Council of Economic Advisors. The Council of Economic Advisors is in charge of producing the objective statistical data by which the President, the Secretary of Treasury, and the National Economic Council can make its decisions. The the Council of Economic Advisors is what is largely in charge of putting out the inflation numbers, the deflation numbers, the unemployment rate, all of those sorts of things. They kind of oversee that. They ensure that it is free of political tampering as best they can. wasn't quite the case during the Obama administration, but nonetheless, that's not the National Economic Council. The National Economic Council was created by Bill Clinton during the 92 recession. It was something he promised to do in 93. He did it by executive order, creating this this organization, the National Economic Council that was supposed to be the economic version of the National Security Council. The problem is that all of the powers of the chairman of the National Economic Council are the powers already retained by the Treasury Secretary, and even members of the National Economic Council have come out in the last decade and say, we don't really need this position. It was to keep a campaign promise in 1993. Um, If the president really wants to cut government, one of the great ways to do it would be to cut this job and the surrounding bureaucracy. He could save real money. It's not a position that's needed. And in fact, Gary Kahn, we now know, told the president he wasn't even using 80% of his brain capacity. He wasn't being challenged. And it didn't really seem like it was a useful position. He was just in the White House and had a title. So maybe save some money there and Maybe use all the money saved to help build the wall. We'll see. Okay, when we come back, we got a lot more we got to get into, and excluding a lot of news from Georgia, including Atlanta. Is it setting a trend nationwide on marijuana laws? There's some data out there that suggests it is. And I'll tell you about them when we come back. An official brief profit center timeout to thank a sponsor, Mancrates. I'm drinking a beer and it is in my custom pint glass with my name on it, my beer glass. I've got 6 of them and I got them from mancrates.com. It is the website to go for the impossible gift person. The guy you know who you want to get them something awesome and you're just not sure. You got a birthday coming up, you want something, you want to recommend someone go there to get something for you mancrates.com really is awesome. They've got stuff if you're into grills, if you're into home cooking, brewing, distilling, if you're into sports, um uh, hunting, fishing, you name it. They've got a man crate for you. In fact, Man Crates has gifts for every type of guy and it shipped in a wooden crate. You can go to my Instagram page and see the video of mine when it came. They even ship it with a crowbar. You pry it open yourself. It's really cool packaging. Hundreds of uh, gift options. So finding the perfect Man Crate, it's really simple. You go to mancrates.com slash Eric E-R-I-C-K. You find the unique gift like the adventurous knife making kit for the hands-on guy or the whiskey appreciation crate. They've got thousands of five-star reviews every Man comes with a 100% satisfaction guarantee. I love my beer glasses. They even, when they shipped them to me, they shipped beer nuts and peanuts, you name it. Um, got great little gifts. Had bar snacks for my friends when they came over. So tell your wife, your girlfriend, your mom, whoever you know who want you want a gift from them. Or you want to get a gift for someone. Go to Mancrates. You'll get five percent off at mancrates.com slash Eric. Limited time offer. Five percent off right now at mancrates.com slash Eric. That's Mancrates, M-A-N-C-R-A-T-E-S.com slash Eric. Thank you to Mancrates for sponsoring the show. I, I'll get to the marijuana stuff in just a minute. Welcome back, Eric Erickson here. Um a piece of legislation is making its way to Governor Rick Scott's desk in Florida, and I wish wish, wish Republicans in Georgia had the sense to do this. Um, it is a law that would get rid of uh, the spring-forward fallback nonsense for daylight. Now, here's the thing, though, and, and this, is, this is important. Florida would do it differently from the other places in the United States. Um, American Samoa, Guam, Puerto Rico, the Virgin Islands, and Arizona, and Hawaii do not recognize daylight saving time. Uh, They recognize standard time, and they're allowed to recognize standard time. So there will not be spring forward. This coming Sunday is spring forward in the United States. You will lose an hour of sleep. Uh, The trade-off is that though you will lose an hour of sleep, the evenings will be lighter longer. By the time you get to the 4th of July, you can't pop firecrackers until 10 p.m. because it's too bright outside. The legislation, if the legislation that was headed toward Rick Scott's desk in Florida, he's the governor, were to get rid of daylight saving time, they wouldn't need congressional approval. But they're doing the Sunshine Protection Act, which I think is a great idea. It passed the state Senate 33 to 2 after sailing through the House of Representatives in Florida on bipartisan support. And it would make daylight saving time Permanent. So in other words, Florida would spring forward and then never fall back. So it would be completely, completely out of sync with everyone else. Uh, the, again, there are states that refuse to spring forward and they're just always in regular time. Uh, Florida wants to spring forward into daylight saving time and then never go back. Why? Because they believe it would help their tourism industry. Florida would stay brighter longer in the evening. So businesses that close at 9 p.m. Um, would be open next week till 10 p.m. They'd still call it 9 p.m. or no, they'd call it 10 p.m. But yeah, you see what I'm saying. I don't know how they would actually implement it. Uh, maybe they'd st- still eat 9 p.m., but 9 p.m. in Florida would be lighter longer, um, not just during the summer, but in the fall and the spring as well. I mean, for example, the time that you see right now, the the, time, the just look outside right now. And this is the time it will be an hour from now next week. So as we get here towards 530, this will be 630 next week. And Florida wants that all year long. Uh, I don't blame them. Uh, I I like falling back because you get that extra hour. But I think you spring forward and and you keep your daylight hours longer. And I realize there are some people who say, oh, but kids standing and waiting for the bus at dark. Well, stand with your kids and keep them out of the street so they don't get run over. That's not hard. Uh, But, I mean, it would sure make, like, my kids' little league practices and stuff a lot easier uh, and all that in the evening. I, I like this idea for Florida and it's bipartisan support, overwhelming support. Rick Scott looks like he's going to sign it as well. Maybe Congress will act and we can get rid of the spring forward fallback nonsense altogether. Welcome back. 39 after the hour. Eric Erickson here. Uh, so there's actually an interesting uh, story in the AJC today. Uh, is Atlanta a marijuana trend? Now, in fairness, this is actually it's in Politically Georgia, the AJC's section uh, for politics on their website, Um, a publication called theleafonline.com, it's a pro-marijuana publication, online publication, says that when Atlanta announced in October it was reducing marijuana enforcement and penalties, it kicked off uh, changes in cannabis enforcement around the country. By February, Albuquerque, New Mexico, East Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and Jackson, Mississippi, all decided to follow Atlanta's lead. They What Atlanta had done in October is they eliminated jail time and reduced penalties on possession of small amounts of marijuana. So they reduced the financial penalty for possession of an ounce or less from $1,000 to $75. Jail time was reduced from six months for possession um, to zero time in jail for an ounce or less, uh, which is a growing trend, I think, now. Uh, This group seems to suggest Atlanta as far as states where there is um, still against the law to have marijuana, Atlanta's kind of leading the way. I I wouldn't be surprised to see other cities around the country adopt this. And I've got to tell you, the more statistics I see out there, I'm not sure that I am overwhelmingly in favor of this rush, for recreational legalization. Um, I still think we ought to let it play out a little longer in California and Colorado and Washington and Alaska than we have. But in fairness, um, it has been going on there now for a while. California only legalized recreationally in January. Colorado, Washington, and Alaska have had it for a while. And we're not seeing the deleterious societal effects that a lot of people claimed we would, that, that I was worried we would see. And there are a whole lot of people, particularly in the black community, who are in jail for nothing more than marijuana. And I'm wondering if their time could be better spent elsewhere in society and that space freed up in prisons for other things. Um, I, I think we're getting closer and closer to point towards legalization in Georgia. Um, and uh, whether you think it's a good thing or a bad thing, that, that's uh, feel free to, to disagree with each other. I'm I'm not sure. I don't have a real strong position on this. I used to be very, very adamantly against. And now I'm not so sure just because I'm looking at these other states and don't see all the massive problems. But I, I'm, I, I don't support it. It's just I'm not strongly opposed to it. Um, it is interesting, though, that what Atlanta is doing is being a, embraced around the nation, a real trendsetter on this particular issue of lowering the penalties. And part of that has to do with... And what these other cities are determining is they got more things they got to worry about than someone caught uh, with uh, uh, less than an ounce of weed in their pocket. Uh, they've got crime rates, they've got uh, traffic issues, they've got corruption issues, and their time is better spent elsewhere. And so that's what they're doing. <laughs> I'm sorry, I was going to go on to something else now. I wasn't going to dwell on the. Thing, but talk about coincidental timing. There's breaking news on it that just crossed from the Politico. Illinois candidate, cannabis candidate accused of abusing women. So there's a Democrat uh, running in Illinois. His name is Benjamin Thomas Wolf, and he he shot a a commercial of him smoking weed. And that, that is his campaign commercial, is he's smoking a joint, uh, basically saying this is no big deal, this is nothing the federal government should be involved with, I smoke this all the time, I'm not hurting anyone, and, and it's one of his core issues. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's now been, I, I thought I read he was gay too, so that this makes it even more confusing, I don't know. Um, it, but it, it's, maybe he's not, maybe I misread that, he's a former FBI agent apparently. I thought I read he was, maybe I didn't. I don't know. Anyway. um, But yeah, he is um, called the cannabis candidate and now he's being accused of abusive behavior toward women and claims he inflated his resume. Wow, perfect timing on that story coming out for this. Now, when we come back, I do want to talk about Texas. we got to talk about Texas because of the relevant Georgia angle there and some of the media coverage uh, out of Texas and how it applies to Georgia. We here in Georgia are familiar with this nonsense, and now it's happening at a larger scale. Okay, I'm putting this here in the short segment uh, before the next hour when we'll talk about Texas. Stormy Daniels has filed a lawsuit. This is the adult film star. She has filed a lawsuit uh, claiming that her hush money arrangement is null and void because the president never actually signed it. The lawsuit represents the latest development. I'm reading from the AJC here in an increasingly troubling situation for the White House. Now, here's the thing. We had people call this program and tell me that this was all a made-up story. She was denying it that she had signed statements to that effect denying it. They were believing that these papers uh, circulating the internet statements she had signed denying that there was a relationship, that this was all true. And I was trying to tell them that she hadn't actually confirmed this stuff, but nobody wanted to believe me because you're Trump hater, you're never Trump. Here, Here, ladies and gentlemen, she has filed a lawsuit under oath in a court of law claiming that, in fact, she had a relationship. Paragraph nine. Her real name is Cliff Clifford. Miss Clifford began an intimate relationship with Mr. Trump in the summer of 2006 in Lake Tahoe and continued her relationship with Mr. Trump well into the year 2007. This relationship included, among other things, at least one meeting with Mr. Trump in a bungalow at the Beverly Hills Hotel located in Los Angeles, California. Around the time of the Access Hollywood Tape, Miss Clifford sought to share details concerning her relationship and encounters with Mr. Trump. After discovering her plans, Mr. Trump, with the assistance of his lawyer, Mr. Cohen, aggressively sought to silence Miss Clifford. Um, here she is, and she's using this lawsuit, by the way, you should note, um, that um, all but admitting, the, I mean, there are certain things she can't say, but she's very well admitting that the stuff that's come out in these stories uh, ahead of time, that they're true. I mean, notice her confirmation of the the meeting at the Beverly Hills Hotel, the meeting at Lake Tahoe, all of these things. And I'm assuming that there will still be people saying, nah, not true, nah, couldn't happen. Here, here it is, this is a federal lawsuit. Um, you, you do not file a federal lawsuit without penalty for perjury, folks. So she's willing to go to court over this stuff, and and attest to its veracity and uh, i just i wonder if some of these reporters out there who went to the evangelical surrogates of the president and got them on record saying this didn't happen it was all made up we can't believe this woman are now willing to stand by that and i suspect there are people listening to me right now who don't care or they suddenly don't care after saying it was made up now they're like well it doesn't matter um does it not matter is it not a sign of character that the man was cheating on his pregnant wife with a porn star I mean, in, in my world, in in, in pre-Trump America, that, that sort of stuff did matter. Uh, now he's going wobbly on tariffs. He's going wobbly on guns. Um, he's going wobbly on all sorts of things. Do, do any of these things, the confluence of events, seem to matter? Uh, he, I find it fascinating, in fact, that Republicans in Washington have finally decided tariffs, of all things, to fight the president over. Tariffs are the thing. Just bizarre what these people in Washington pick as their hills to die on. Okay, when we come back... Texas, what it means and what it doesn't mean. There's a whole lot of bad analysis out there in the press turning it all into anti-Ted Cruz fan fiction. I'll break it down when we get back. We are back, nine after the hour. It's Eric Erickson here, News 95.5 AM 750 WSB, the nation's most listened to news talk station, the phone number 404 872 wsb talk And again, prayers for those of you stuck in traffic around Buford Highway with this water main break from this morning. Good grief. I want to talk about Texas and to a degree talk about it from the perspective of Georgia. And I'm really glad that I ran out the clock yesterday um, because full disclosure, I had in my stack of stuff to talk about yesterday a couple of stories about the building Democratic wave. as It related to data from Texas. And I have told you guys uh, several weeks ago, that uh, democratic turnout was up over 100 percent. It was 105 percent increase in democratic turnout in Texas. Uh, that story was in the New York Times. It was at CNN. It was at the Washington Post. It was mentioned on Fox News. Um, it came from a respectable outfit looking at this information, not from a partisan source. And they left out a key data point, and that was that this is from the 15 cities in Texas, not Texas statewide. Now. That's still relevant data, and we shouldn't dismiss it. And let me deal with that first. The media has been using that data in the last 72 hours to really say Ted Cruz is in trouble in Texas. What's The reality is that there are some House races that Republicans are going to lose in Texas. If, if this trend holds, this level of surging of Texas Democrats shows a massive level of enthusiasm that hasn't been there before And some House seats could be in jeopardy. This goes back to losing the House. has nothing to do with the Senate. But as you can imagine, in the last 72 hours, a lot of uh, liberal journalists who hate Ted Cruz have turned this into fan fiction, uh, anti-Cruz fan fiction. And they're convinced, were convinced, that Texas was going to turn blue. We see this in Georgia on a regular basis. I read y'all the story out of the Politico just at the end of January, about will Georgia turn blue this year, talking about Stacey Abrams as a very viable candidate. Now, you need to know that Stacey Abrams is, in my mind, the most formidable candidate the Democrats have put forward against the Republicans in Georgia in a while uh, because she is self-deprecating, she's humorous, she comes across as, as very reasonable, even if I disagree with her on policy. She is one of the best interviews I've done in a long time. Uh, I have interviewed now every gubernatorial candidate. Stacey Abrams, hands down, one of the best interviews I have ever done with anyone, uh, regardless of who that person is or what the topic is. She was deprecating, at ease, um, uh, very funny, very relatable. And uh, she's, she's going to be someone, if, if she's the nominee, Uh, I was very much impressed with her interviewing. Um, Now, that said, she's not going to win. Georgia is not there yet. And Democrats have all but conceded the point privately. Georgia is not a place where Democrats think that they can, despite what the media says. Texas, though, is in the same boat. The Republicans in Texas dominated turnout yesterday. I mean, they had a three to one vote advantage, which you would have never known had the media not clarified this hundred five percent turnout that only represented fifteen cities in Texas. Uh, the The turnout in Dallas and Houston, and Austin and San Antonio, uh, parts of Midland, the Fort Worth area in in a few other areas in Texas, Democrats turned out in ways they hadn't in the past. For suburban Republicans in Congress, that's troubling. For everybody else, no, there's not a blue wave hitting Texas, like some people said. Now, the, why is this all important and how does it relate to Georgia? Well, I just gave you a little foretaste of that. Okay, so um, here's how why we in Georgia need to care about Texas. One, we do need to pay attention to the suburban trend lines, and they're not good for Republicans. But two, we need to pay attention to the statewide trend lines, and they are good for Republicans, even here in Georgia. This mass pressure to say that we've got to moderate in Georgia, we've got to be more Democrat, whatnot. The conservatives did well statewide in Texas last night. You know, they said Ted Cruz was going to have stiff opposition in his primary from people who didn't like that he was such a conservative firebrand. In fact, he had two prominent people um run against him, Stephen De Stefano and and David Iowitz is Broussard. I think I can't remember anyway, lawyer in in Houston. Uh, got a lot of media coverage for him to be the anti-Ted Cruz, the reasonable Republican moderate. There were four people who ran against Ted Cruz in the Republican primary. None of them got above 90,000 votes. Ted Cruz got more votes than all of the Democrats combined last night. And Democrats can say Beto O'Rourke, uh, it was really Robert, is, is some sort of major candidate against Ted Cruz. That's not really true. And the turnout last night showed it. When the most partisan folks turn out and the Republicans turn out, the Republicans in Texas still get three times more votes minimum than the Democrats do. But we're going to see this over and over and over and over. We cannot get lulled into complacency around the nation as to trends and say, oh, well, this state is a Republican state, therefore we don't have anything to worry about. Because when it comes to congressional races, there are suburban districts that can flip on this sort of stuff. Uh, but statewide, it becomes harder and more problematic. I think there there is a real key takeaway here in Texas, though. And it is a takeaway that the media should pay attention to. Media biases against Republicans shaped the narrative that Republicans in Texas were in danger. The media wanted to believe that the Republicans in Texas were in danger. Now, this is not November, and I already hear some reporters saying that this is not November, except these very same reporters were saying that we needed to pay attention to the massive turnout of Democrats in Texas. And it didn't happen outside of uh, 15 metropolitan areas. It didn't happen. And those 15 metropolitan areas were not enough to offset the gains Texas Republicans showed elsewhere. We're going to see that in Georgia. That's the point. In Georgia, you're going to have reporters looking. I mean, we already saw it with the John Ossoff race. They were looking at Democrat intensity, convinced that John Ossoff was going to win. A lot of Republicans, likewise, convinced John Ossoff was going to win. They threw everything at that race. Democrats were overwhelmingly energized, and they still couldn't beat Karen Handel with maximum Democratic turnout. Even in a special election, all eyes were on that district. There were no distractions. There were no other races. You had all of the volunteers, everything. But yet the media narrative is shaping up yet again. Karen Handel has more people running against her. And if you read a lot of your local news coverage of this race, you would think Karen Handel was in trouble again. She wasn't in trouble the first time, it turns out. Maximum Democratic intensity, massive turnout from Democrats, did not help John Ossoff win that race. Now, are there some races to be concerned about? Well, yes, there are some um, races to be concerned about even here in Georgia. Um, Rob Woodall has a race that Republicans have to watch. The reason being the Democratic shift in Gwinnett County that has been well documented for the last decade. If Hispanic and black voters and Asian voters do show up overwhelmingly in that race, Rob Woodall could lose. The question is, will they turn out? And we're not seeing massive spikes in turnout right now. Um, Do Republicans need to have some takeaways here and and start doing some damage control? Yes, absolutely. If the Democratic turnout and Republican turnout were what they were in Texas last night, you would have a couple of Republicans who should not lose actually lose. It's just those Republicans are not the ones the media has been telling you should lose. Greg Abbott and Ted Cruz, the statewide race holders in Texas, like the statewide Republican race holders in Georgia, really don't have a ton to worry about. You would never, ever know that, though. You would never know that. From the media coverage is it any wonder no one really pays attention to the media anymore y'all i want to take a quick time out to thank one of our sponsors this week it is beach body on demand now you know the beach body name you may not be familiar with the brand directly but you know p90x insanity 21 day fix t25 the three week yoga retreat they've moved to a digital platform so you're not buying dvds anymore you're actually you can web enabled get it on your phone get it on your tablet even get it on your tv they've got a great apple tv app that i use why do i use it well of all things yoga now that i'm over my 40s uh, i've had my doctor recommended it and I need to stretch more, and I've been doing a fitness routine just because I'm trying to get myself back in shape for more TV and travel demands, and you know, Beachbody On Demand has some great products. Their yoga plan for me that I do with my wife has come in real handy. I have a ton of friends who do P90X. Beachbody On Demand, it's really convenient. You can get it on your computer, your TV, your tablet, your smartphone, any web-enabled device. You don't have to go to the gym or schedule a class. Everything is right there. You can even do it in your hotel room, which I do 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 it in my hotel room. It's also very affordable. You can try their great program, all 600 workouts and nutritional information for free. Plus your annual subscription is cheaper than a gym membership. Here's what you do to give it a try. And I do recommend just give it a try. See what they offer right now. You get a free trial membership. When you text Eric E R I C K to three zero three zero three zero. That's right. Eric E R I C K To three zero three zero three zero, you get full access to the entire platform for free, all the workouts, nutrition information for free. All you got to do is text Eric E R I C K to three zero three zero three zero. Thanks to Beachbody On Demand for sponsoring the show. I want to tell you about my favorite candidate running for Congress this year because it's somewhat indicative of I. We're up after this segment because we got a basketball game, and I'm glad because it'll allow me to get to little league practice tonight. Uh, in a timely manner without Christie having to take Gunner uh, and me meeting them there. So my favorite candidate running for Congress this year uh, was on the ballot last night in Texas in the 21st Congressional District. His name is Chip Roy. He's been on this program before. He is a longtime friend of mine. Uh, And he was on the ballot last night. He was on the ballot. And he went to his kid's Little League game instead of having a victory party. There was a victory party for him. But they all knew he wasn't coming. If he did come, it would be late because he wanted to be out on the field watching Charlie, his son, play little league. That's the sort of people we need to send to Congress. That uh, they're they're not into the trappings of it. Uh, he would much rather spend time with his kids and feels convinced to run. And it wasn't one of those things where you're thinking, "Oh no, he he, he probably knew he wasn't going to win anyway." So by why well, he came in first. Um, he he's headed into the runoff. He got. 20, there were, I, I want to say there were 18 candidates running in the race. There was a massive number of candidates running, and he came in first with 27% of the vote. So he will be in the runoff. Um, but he was much more interested in his kid's Little League game last night. His kid, Charlie, wound up winning as well uh, in his Little League game. And we just, we need people like that. You know, back before we had the primary system, when it was actually party conventions that picked candidates to go to Washington for the parties, the average time spent in Washington for a member of Congress was only six years. After six years, parties tended to say, okay, you know what, you've you've been our con- congressman for six years, time for someone else. That number has gone up now uh, to almost 18 years, I think, the last time I saw it for a member of Congress. I really think primaries do nothing but help prop up the status quo. And if we went back to uh, to a day and age where we didn't have primaries, but each party got to in conventions for that congressional district pick their nominee, that uh, yeah, would would sometimes would we get more fringy candidates? Absolutely, we would. Uh, but they would have to go for up for a vote in the general election to the people. But let the prime let the parties do it and say, you know what, nah, you've you've done it too long. There's your way to get term limits without having to amend the constitution because um, we need. Regular guys like Chip, who went to his kids' little league game in Washington. Uh, chiproy.com, uh, C-H-I-P-R-O-Y.com, Chip Roy, uh, good friend of mine. He's been a friend of—he and his wife, Kara, have been friends with Christie's in mine for a long time. Really excited for him to go to Congress. He is uh, absolutely small government. He he's he makes me look like a raging liberal in a lot of these small government issues. He is absolutely won't vote for a budget, um, opposed to growing government, hardcore conservative. I love the guy. Uh, and I love that he would rather be at Little League. I'm excited for him. Okay, we've got a UGA-Vandy game coming up. If if UGA wins tonight, so if you don't want to hear me on the air tomorrow night, you better root for Georgia. <laughs> um, but if UGA wins tonight, they'll play again tomorrow afternoon in drive time. If they lose tonight, they're done. So um, you, you, you base your rooting accordingly, and maybe I'll see you all tomorrow.